I was teaching the youth class a couple weeks ago when our director of student ministries was on vacation, and so we sat down and, and we, to break the ice, I thought, well, instead of, you know, breaking the ice with what's your favorite ice cream or what do you like to eat peanut butter with and what's your favorite horror movie, that sort of a thing, I thought, let's talk about what you're listening to, because I want to know what what young people are listening to. I was surprised. And some of the bands that they were listening to are probably on your playlist, too. And so I said, what's on your playlist? What, what's your favorite music? And a couple, a couple of them said, U2. Who's, who's on, who has U2 on their playlist? Anybody out there? Oh, come on. Uh, Coldplay? Yeah? Yeah, Coldplay. Um, how, about, how about this one? I was really surprised. Men at work. Yeah, okay. Those of you who want to admit that. Yeah, that, that's good. Men at work. Um, then, of course, someone said Katy Perry. And uh, if you didn't know, Katy Perry dropped a new single last Sunday called Rise. And I only know that because my daughter listens to Katy Perry, and she was really excited about that. And they said, Dean, Pastor Dean, what's on your playlist? And, and I shared a little bit of what I listened to a few weeks ago. But I've been listening to something that's, that's a little bit different lately. I've been listening to, have you heard of electronica? Yeah? And that's, that's typically dance music, right? It's, they play it at raves and stuff like, like that. Not that I know that at all. And, uh, but I've been listening to um, a type of electronica, a type of electronic music called trance music. And so, it's, and, and so I told them that. They said, oh, that's that chill music. And I said, yeah, it's that chill music. And... And uh, I've been listening to a group called Embers, E-M-B-R-Z. And so if you have your Spotify, you want to take some notes, go ahead and write that down. It's a, it's a really great electronica, what did I say, trance electronica music, E-M-B-R-Z. And uh, so we had a good time talking about that. But I want you to right now listen to the lyrics of the 139th song on God's playlist. Let me read this to you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee? From your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. In verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See 
if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word for us today. The lyrics to this song are about three attributes of God, and that's just what God is like. If you were to get to know God and understand God, it's the three attributes of God. But the main attribute that this song is written about is what theologians and what scholars call the omnipresence of God, is his presence everywhere all the time. And so we're going to take a look at this, this song, the 139th Psalm, and we're going to ask ourselves or talk about what we know about the presence of God. And there's three things what we know about the presence of God from this song, and the first is this. The presence of God is inescapable. Number one is the presence of God is inescapable. inescapable. Now, the presence of God is an inescapable fact. And the first three stanzas of this song tell us in detail about this inescapable fact. The first is his knowledge surrounds us. This, his presence, his knowledge, it surrounds us. And in verses 1 through 6, it, it speaks to all of that. Now, he knows, this, he, he knows us externally and internally. And the psalmist, the, the songwriter, David, when he writes this psalm, he writes in the first three stanzas about polarities. And so he writes, this is how much God knows us. It's to this end, and it's to this end. And so he speaks to all of this. And the first polarity is, he knows us externally. In verses 2 and 3, it says, You know when I sit and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And so he knows us externally, what we're doing on the outside. But he also knows us internally, too. In verse 2, he says, You perceive my thoughts from afar. It's our thoughts that he knows us. And verse 3, it says, You are familiar with all my ways. It's our behavior that he knows. And so he knows where we go externally, but he also knows us internally. It's these polarities that the psalmist writes about. The second inescapable fact of God's presence is his face surrounds us. Now I'll talk about what the, what the word face is, is all about, but in verses 7 through 12 is how God, his face surrounds us. Once again, polarities, he talks about the heights and the, and the depths. In verse 8 it says, if I go up to the heavens, the heights, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, in the, in the lowest part, you are there. And then he says, once again, polarities, he talks about from the east to the west. In verse 9, he says, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, where the sun rises to the east, you're there. And if I settle on the far side of the sea, where the sun sets in the sea to the west, it's, so, it's from the heights, it's from the depths, it's from the east, it's from the west. His face surrounds us. Now, I'm using the word face there because presence in Hebrew is the word face. And so anytime you see the, the word presence, it's speaking of God's face. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your face, from your presence? He's saying that everywhere he goes, the psalmist, there's God's face. And, and it's amazing when you say that God is everywhere. It's not like he fills the space like, well, like the air or like, 
Like if I had a propane tank here like you use on the barbecue, and if I open up the valve and the valve would open up and, and the propane would sort of leak out, well, I'd open it up and maybe the front row would say, oh, there's propane leaking out of that gas tank. But the people in the back wouldn't really smell it until a little bit later, until I open it up even more. God is not like gas, okay? He's not like that. He doesn't start from one end and sort of invade in the area. God is everywhere all the time. And it's hard for us to sort of get that, but all of him is everywhere. The all of him is everywhere all the time. God is not only fully present in every point in time, but he's also present in every point in space. So his, his uh, knowledge surrounds us. He knows us inside and outside. His face surrounds us. He's everywhere all the time. And the third is his power surrounds us. His power surrounds us. And we find that in verses 7 through 12. Once again, David, the, 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 the poet here, writes in polarities, polar opposites. He says in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He's talking about our soul, our, 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 our soul. My, my inmost being is my soul. He says, that's where you created me. You knit me together there. And you knit me together in my mother's womb, the physical part of our body. So not just our physical bodies, but he created our soul inside and outside. And then he speaks to birth and death in verses 15 and 16. He says, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He says, I was made in that secret place. And, and even before I was born, you were, you were there. And he says, in, in all of my days that were ordained for me, as I end my life and I look back on all my days, so it's the polarities of soul. He created us on the inside. He created our physical bodies. The polarity of birth and of death. And so David, the, the poet, the lyricist here is trying to tell us this is how much God is present everywhere all the time. It's, it's from this place to that place. It's from this place. It's from that place. It's from inside. It's from outside. It's, it's from birth. It's from death. And, and, and here is what's being said here. From conception to my last breath, God is in charge. He's, he's in charge. Now, there's an ethical implication to God's presence, too, and it has to do with abortion and euthanasia. Now, this is not political, although it's really hard not to go there in our minds, right? With the, in between the, the, the major parties' conventions here, it's hard not to go to political when I talk about abortion and, and euthanasia. But I want you to know, from the early Christians to the ancient Jews, both abortion and active euthanasia were wrong because when you do those things, you're putting yourself in God's place. The God is the one, our God is the one in charge of life. And God's presence is with you from before conception to your last heartbeat and your death. See, life at the point of conception and life at the end, we know that that life is so vulnerable and it's so fragile. I, well, I, I see uh, moms and dads holding their babies here holding their babies. And if, 
if you ever held a newborn, right? It's, I remember the first time. It, it wasn't my newborn. It was my friend's newborn. And they said, do you want to hold him? And I was like, yeah, well, okay. And, and they gave him to me, and, and I'm cradling the head, and I'm so tight, right? I'm trying to be so careful because this new life is so vulnerable. And I also remember a few years ago when my, my dad was having his last days. And my dad's not a big person. He was a, a small person. But in the last six weeks of his life, oh, he just he got so thin and so weak and so vulnerable. And I remember having to, to he was sitting in a, in a chair in the hospital room, and he wanted to lay down, and the nurse wasn't there, and I was visiting with him. And I said, well, I, I could do this. And so I picked him up. And, and you know, I, he was so thin and so frail, and I picked him up, and I had to cradle his head, right? And I picked up his legs, and they were so thin. And I carried him over, and I laid him in his hospital bed. We know. We just know that life in the very beginning is so vulnerable. And life at the very end is so fragile. And God is saying, I'm there in the very beginning and I'm there in the very end. And truth be told, for a lot of the world, they see that life in the very beginning and that life at the very end as so inconvenient. It, it's, so, it's so intense, that life in the beginning, that life in the end. It's so costly, financially and emotionally. It's so, so costly. So why deal with that is what most of the, much of the world thinks about. And this is not political, because in fact, this, these words from this song were written before the culture wars. God has ordained your beginning and your end. The second thing we know about the presence of God, the first, is that the presence of God is inescapable. Number two is this, the presence of God is threatening. And that's interesting. The presence of God, is, it's, it's threatening, we find that in verses 5, five through 10 of Psalm 139. The lyricist is poetically trying to convey a sense of threat and rebellion here. Now, how is he doing that? Take a look. He writes in verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, now this sounds positive. This sounds affirming about God. But the songwriter is really saying, your presence, God, is too much for me. I can't take it anymore. It's, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. Now, now, why do we know this? It's because the reason is in verse 5. He writes, you hem me in behind and before. You see, this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God starts to feel like this in our life. He starts to feel like a heavy, wet, blanket that's just smothering you and you can't breathe without feeling the weight of this thick wet heavy blanket that's always over you because of his presence and therefore the human response is rebellion i i where can i go from your spirit the psalmist writes where can i flee from your presence and these questions really are like this get me out of here i i how do I escape from God's presence? It's outright rebellion. It's, it's flight. It's, it's fleeing to try to get away. 
You see that the same word flee here in, 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 uh, in, in verse 7 is the same word that's used in the story of Jonah. And if you had kids in VBS this week, they learned about Jonah. And I'm sure you heard about it when they got home. Jonah was told by God to go to the town of Nineveh to tell the Ninevites about God. But Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, so he tried to run away from God. It was rebellion. He was, it was the same words that the psalmist is using here. So, so David, the songwriter, knows that the presence of God is inescapable, but he feels like running. And Jonah doesn't want to obey God's call, so he tries to run. I, I think we all kind of have a feeling of what this is like. It's God's presence. His work in your life is inescapable. Um, I, I get the opportunity from time to time to, to coach pastors and to mentor them. And I coach uh, guys who want to start churches, church planters. And sometimes I get the opportunity to, to coach organizational leaders or business executives. And, and I do consultation with them. And there's a sort of a, a, a step-by-step that I work with them. I do some initial interviews. I, I have them tell me their story. And they kind of give me this narrative of what's going on in their work. And I hear their story. And as I hear their story, I see fingerprints of God all over their story. It becomes very clear what God's trying to do in this person's life. And it usually involves emotional intelligence or lack of emotional intelligence. And and what I see in all of this is God's knowledge of their life and his power and his clear presence is inescapable. And so after I'm working with a, a, with, with a leader, a pastor, a, an executive, and, and they're telling me their story, and it takes two or three sessions to just kind of tell their story. At the end of their story, here's what usually happens. I don't say too much, but at the end of their story, what, what happens is they usually end up saying, I guess I know what I have to do. And that's it. I don't have to say anything. And, and you know, I do my consultation, and and I don't give them any answers. They just, they usually say, I don't really have a choice on what to do, do I? And I say, yeah, it's, it's there. Because God's presence, his power, it's, it's in our lives. He's guiding us. He's, he's right there. In verses 7 through 9, David says, if I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. If I try to climb high, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. Wherever I go, you're there, and I can't escape you. And in verse 10, I think it's interesting because there's a shift because David's trying to run or he's thinking about running a rebellion. But in verse 10, he says, Even there your hand will guide me, and even your right hand will hold me fast. David says, It feels like your presence is just smothering me, and I try to run, but your face is everywhere. And even though I try to run, it's good to know. Even in my running, your hand's guiding me, and you're protecting me. The presence of God. What do we know about it? Number one, God's presence is inescapable. Number two, the presence of God is threatening. And the last thing we're going to talk about today is the presence of God is transformational. It's, it's inescapable, it's threatening, and it's transformational. In verses 11 and 12 in Psalm 139, 11 says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, and even the darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. 
In, in the Psalms, if you read through God's playlist, darkness always signals danger or death or terror or lostness. But what happens if you have a God you can't get rid of? What happens if you have a God that you just can't shake? He's always aware. He's always present. He's always got you by the hand. Instead of being a threat, it becomes wonderful. God can't lose me even in the darkness. And darkness is light to him. And I'm safe because he's got me by the hand. And now the poet here, David, the lyricist, he comes to the end of his journey in verses 17 and 18. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I, I, I love this. This last phrase, when I awake, I'm st- still with you. You're still with me. You're there. And scholars think that the awakening here is not from a good night's sleep. Scholars believe this awakening here is from death. We find that in, in uh, the 17th Psalm. It says in verse 15, As for me, I will be vindicated, and you will see your face, and I will see your face. And when I awake from death, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. What David is saying here is this. God is inescapable. He's always with me. I can't run from him. And even when I die, he's going to be with me. This is the, well, this would be the ultimate omnipresence. It, it, there's another story of, of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5. And it's a pretty emotional scene here where Jesus, he goes to visit a, fam- and visits a family who's grieving, a mom and a dad, because their daughter had just died, their young daughter had just died. And so Jesus goes to the house and he visits with the mother and the father and he brings some disciples with him. And then he went in to where the daughter, the, the, the child was and was laying down. In this emotional scene, Jesus takes her by the hand and he says, Talitha kum, in Aramaic, in his native language, which means, um, Talitha means little one. It means um, sweetheart. Takes her by the hand and um, he says, Honey, it's time to wake up. Just like maybe some of you did this morning to, to your children. You don't burst in their bedroom and say, Get up! It's time for church! Well, maybe some of you did, and, and uh, we have a parenting class for you for if, if that's what you did. Um, but usually, if, if, it's, if you're going to wake up your child, what do you say, right? It's, it's honey, it, uh, sweetheart, get up, and you kind of shake them. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and, and he says um, honey, sweetheart get up and she does and, and, I, and I think it's so interesting it, it's as if this, this gospel passage hundreds of years after David writes this, this song in, one thir- in Psalm 139 is this picture that we have of Jesus in this little girl. It's, it's almost like God saying, if I, if I have you by the hand, then death is just sort of like an afternoon nap. 
You see, death is like an afternoon nap for those who know and believe and put their trust in Jesus. If you had a child in VBS this week, they learned that this week that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was born in this miraculous birth story. And he talked to this heavenly kingdom that's come to earth. And he lived a life that we couldn't live, this perfect life. And he died this death, this death that we couldn't die. He died that death for us. And that story is not just for kids in VBS. It's for all of us here. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way. He doesn't say there are many paths that lead to God and just choose one and you'll get to God eventually. He doesn't say it like that. And I know that current culture just tells you all of that, all these paths. It'll, if you just follow anyone, they'll just lead to God. It'll be okay. But Jesus doesn't say that. I want you to know that. He says, I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so today, would you examine your heart and, and see that all of us struggle with this idea of a God that's present everywhere, that some, to some of you feels like this heavy, wet blanket that you can't escape from. And we find him smothering sometimes, and we want to make our own decisions in life. We don't want someone observing us. We don't want someone to hold us accountable. But at the same time, I... We want God. We want his hand to guide us. We want his power when we're feeling weak and worried. We want his healing when the doctor says, I'm not sure if we can find a cure. We want him. We want his peace when we're anxious. And we want his favor when we're making a, a decision, a, a, a risky decision. The presence of God is transforming when we let go of our desire to run from him and realize that we can't. David ends the, the song with these, with these words in verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that, that we can look at God's playlist and, and, and read through these words, these lyrics to these songs, and make real sense out of them, just real applicable life sense out of them. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, Father, for bringing us all together, this, this great crowd of people and all these kids and a beautiful South Bay day. Father, thank you for providing all this food and all this fun for us, and, and we recognize that it's you who provides all of this, and we're so grateful for that. And Father, for, for the one here today that is saying, you know, I, I need God like that. I, I need him to guide me. I need him to be present with me all the time. Father, I, I, I pray that you would continue to work in each and every one of our hearts, that we would draw closer to you in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.